The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Well, if you'll take your uh, Bible or you can look on the bulletin, the uh, scripture is there. We're looking at Psalms. Uh, which are a part of the Old Testament. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, maybe, uh, maybe I don't want to ever assume that we all know where everything is. Uh, the Psalms are a beautiful book and written uh, in song. Uh, and a lot of times these were actually sung. And we're looking right now at the uh, Psalms of Ascent, which are Psalm 120 through 134. And these Psalms in particular have uh, real rich meaning because they were songs that were sung as people went to Jerusalem to worship. So talk about making a pilgrimage. I mean, even thinking of all the the things on the way, these people would travel somewhat 90 to 100 miles, somewhat sometimes on foot to get to Jerusalem for festivals of worship, to worship the Lord. And they do this two, three times a year. Um, And many of them have kind of, Jerusalem in mind, you can even sometimes read it. This one in particular is different. Jerusalem isn't even mentioned. The worship at the temple is not mentioned. It is a simple lament looking up to the Heavenly Father and asking where He is. Listen to Psalm 123. To you I lift up my eyes. O you who are enthroned in the heavens, behold as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress. So our eyes look to the Lord, our God, till he has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease and of the contempt of the proud. Um, happy Father's Day if you are a, a, a father. Um, but I know that this day, is, it's a sweet one for some of us. Sometimes it brings mixed bag. Uh, it brings joy, it brings pain, it brings sadness, it brings loss. Uh, some of us have difficult relationships with our fathers. Some of us uh, have sweet ones and yet feel longing. Uh, in this time, I know that there's been a lot of separation between families because we can't visit and because there's a lot of that. Some of us have lost fathers. And uh, we grieve. Uh, this is a, a, a sweet and difficult day. And you know, the hard thing to me sometimes is when I think about these kind of days and I think of loss and I think of people who look at Christianity and think, as Freud said at one point, he said, is Christianity just like a wish fulfillment, like a fatherly wish fulfillment? That was his kind of take on it psychologically, that, that it's a crutch for us in some sense. It's a religious crutch for us to all the things we wish we had in a father, even the ones we do have, we look upward with that. You know, and I have to say, in some way he's right. There is a wish, there is a longing, there is a desire for us to have a relationship with a father, whether one we have, one we've lost, one we wish we had, that we really wish. But Christianity is different because it actually says, yeah, there is a wish, but it's actually fulfilled. It's not just a wish fulfillment, it's an actual fulfilled hope. Uh, one of the sweetest things when, um, and it's happened a lot, you know, you, especially since we've been hunkered down um, and we may be again for more. Uh, I've noticed little idiosyncrasies with my own children. And uh, my youngest son, uh, who's done this before, but you know, it's really sweet to notice things even more. He's five. 
he will take my, fa- you know, if he, he really wants my attention uh, and I'm talking or something, he will literally, you know, he won't just say dad, 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 you know, over and over, <laughs> kind of that tapping. He'll actually take my face. He'll grab it sometimes with both hands and turn it to his. Sometimes gentle, sometimes not. Just to say, I'm, I'm talking to you. I want your eyes. And that's actually exactly what this psalm is. If there is a, a repetitive theme in some of the psalms, particularly in the psalms of ascent, it's this phrase of lifting our eyes up to the heavens. There's a meeting of eyes. Eyes is listed here even four times. It's so important. Because why? The eyes are honest. Right? Even when we are, we can come here this morning and uh, we can be as you know, jazzed up on coffee and Red Bull as we want to be, but our eyes don't lie, do they? They can look exhausted. They can look angry. They can look weary. The eyes. And this psalm is of, of a traveler, a pilgrim, going to Jerusalem, not even thinking necessarily about Jerusalem, but lamenting of what it's like to have their eyes so focused downward in what's around them that they're casting their eyes upward and a- asking almost in a sense to grab the face and say, God, have mercy on me. As a dependent sweet child does. And that's the question here is, is where do our eyes look? When we meet the scorn and contempt of this world, when we see in this psalm, this person has had enough. Had enough. How many times have you, I have said that a number of times lately. How many times have you said that? More or less just felt it. Where, where do your eyes go? Because our eyes don't lie. Where do your eyes go when you really meet the contempt and scorn from the world around you? Do they go upward or downward? It is easy to look downward. Contemptuous behavior, and even as it talks about that, as I was really thinking into what it means to encounter contempt, it means that contempt is it's that eye rolling. It's that meeting uh, someone, and they instead of seeing you in, the, in your face-to-face, they just kind of go, oh. it's that control, that anger. It's all those ways, you know, all the, uh, the we're probably watching a lot of documentaries these days, but, but uh, all those documentaries you see about certain um, success stories of people that were at once like maybe a scrawny kid and they, they became like the greatest quarterback or somebody who had uh, <clears throat> major body issues and they became a model. You know, these success stories like that that we sometimes herald and go, oh, they just came out of such contempt to success. But if you really think about what a lot of those stories are, the contempt hasn't left. It's a response to the contempt. It's a, it's a retaliation in some sense that we all have. I felt that as a kid. You know, sticks and stones will break your bones, right? <laughs> but they really do hurt you because they stay with you. Nothing like contempt and scorn and eyes that roll stick with a heart and reverberate in us than contempt. That's why uh, even John Gottman, I don't know if you know that name, but John Gottman wrote one of the most uh, well-known, he's a well-known cultural uh, psychologist in the field of marriage. He says the number one predictor in divorce for many is contempt. 
number one. Because what it does is it, it, it moves in. It, it's, this, it's this secret kind of downward look of uh, just anger and control and saying, you know what, you're, it, it isolates. It says you're unlovable. It's all the phrases we heard. No one likes you. <laughs> no one cares about you. No one really loves you. And so that's how our eyes go downward. In the Bible, we see this a couple times. Even when Abraham, there's, a, there's a, a, a big passage, maybe some of you even heard if you're unfamiliar with the Bible in Genesis, where Abraham is to, called to sacrifice Isaac. And as he's going up the mountain to sacrifice it, it writes this language of him looking down. And it doesn't do that because <clears throat> it's just a throwaway comment. It's doing that because Abraham is so weighed down that he can do nothing but his eyes just fall as he walks up to take his own son. The psalmist is saying here, we have to cast our eyes upward. We have to cast them upward, why? Because it is a gentle, not so much of us taking the Lord's face, but the Lord taking our face and saying, let me give you mercy. Why does this psalmist cry for mercy? I mean, he could cry for anything. Like in those success stories, right, we talk about retaliation or sometimes acquiescing, right? If, if somebody shows contempt or scorn towards us, sometimes we bow down and we say, okay, what do I do to make my life different? And we look inward and we try and change things. But as the great theologian, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, he said, oftentimes when we look inward like that, we do what's called over-dissection of the soul and it leads to despair. And it may look like success on the outside, but it leads to depression and despair. Instead of looking outward, we look inward and we go down. But looking up, what does it do? We meet the eyes of the person who does the same as contempt. See, mercy almost, we wouldn't think this, mercy does the same as contempt in this. It totally strips us. But instead of saying, you're unlovable, it says, I know everything about you. And not in spite of it, because of it, I love you. It holds your chin and holds you close and looks into your eyes and says, you are loved, you are cherished, you're not isolated, you're not separated from me. This is why the psalmist seeks mercy, because mercy reminds us who we are. Isn't that what we want from our wish fulfillment? As Freud really was, where he was right, was we are all looking to the eyes of our fathers to give us a sense of, who am I? To look back to those eyes. You know, when I feel shame, and I don't know about you, but when I feel shame and disgust, the last place I want to look is in someone's eyes. I want to avert eyes because I don't want myself to be known, right? Or the, the, the first place I want to look when I want to be validated or cared for is to find eyes that know me and build me up. Why do we want that? <laughs> Freud was right. There is a desire, a longing for that. But the fulfillment comes that we have someone who actually has done that from the beginning, who says, let me tell you who you are. It welcomes the sinner, doesn't scorn them. It welcomes people like us who don't know who we are often. And so we scorn and contempt, show contempt towards others who may not you know, be in our camp or be of our race or be of our socioeconomic background. But if we know 
mercy, then we can actually show it. If we look and let the Lord, the one who loves us, who welcomes sinners, hold us and tell us who we are, then we can show mercy anywhere. Martin Lloyd-Jones said it this way. He says, I've seen myself and my worst enemy doesn't even know the worst about me. Mercy says, I don't have to look at everything else to tell me how loved am I am. What God does is he holds our, our face and he pulls our eyes back to him and says, let me remind you of how loved you are, how forgiven you are, how cared for you are. Mercy doesn't let things slide. Notice this passage even says this. This, this person, th- this psalm doesn't end with this joyful elation, does it? It ends with, our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, the contempt of the proud, done. <laughs> and it could leave that. But what are the eyes? Even the, the verse two, the eyes looking to, this, uh, to the master and to the mistress, they're eyes of expectation. See, this psalm leaves in expectation. But what we know on this side is something different. We know that at this table, expectation is actually fulfilled. The wish that we have all longed for, the wish that we have hoped all our lives, and whether we had a fulfilled life with our own earthly father or not, has been shown and proven in the eyes of the one who's come in flesh and did not avert his from us. The expectation of mercy, is it there? Notice even in that psalm, I'm gonna keep asking God till you give mercy. (laughs) That's what he says. What does he do? He gives it in spades. He gives it in full in his son. That's what this table says. This table says he gives mercy by his own son going to the cross who never averted his eyes and was innocent did not show contempt, did not show scorn, but took on mocking. Imagine, on the cross, people mocking him for even making the claims that he did, spitting on him. Those who loved him the most, his friends deserted him. All the things that we are afraid of the most happened to him so that we might know his mercy is real. And it is true. And his mercy is ours. We have his eyes. And he looks on you with love. Praise be to God for that. Because it was on the night that Jesus was betrayed that he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body given for you. Take, eat, all of you. Do so in remembrance of me. And he took the cup and he poured out the wine and he said, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. That is the blood of the new covenant which means that your relationship with God that you have with him is new because of what Jesus has done. That this blood is merciful. It covers the sin that doesn't deserve to be covered. And his body is given to you so you may take and know it. And as often as you eat and drink this, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And he will. Before we take our Communion, let's stand together and recite a familiar and wonderful catechism. It's from Heidelberg Catechism. It's an old Dutch catechism. Question one asks the greatest question that we all ask, where do we belong, right? 
It says, what is your only comfort in life and in death? Let's read together. That I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. Please be seated. Just as a reminder how to take this communion, uh, there is a transparent top to this. So don't, you, if you tear one off, you're gonna hear the wrapper there. Make sure you tear the transparent top off for the bread. And then the second part is the tab where you'll tear for the juice. Be careful because if you may tear one, you might lose the, the other in that. We will take the bread together and pause and take a moment of silence for you to, uh, to go before the Lord and then take the juice together as well. Just as a reminder, I do need to tell you it isn't gluten-free bread in case you do have some sort of an allergy. Just want you to know. Let us take the body of Christ. This is the body of Christ given for you. Take and eat. Amen. This is the blood of Christ. <laughs> Drink and rejoice. Hmm. Let us proclaim the mystery of faith. That Christ has died. Christ has risen and Christ will come again. Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. The gifts of God are for the people of God. Taste which you have received in the mercy and the eyes of your Father towards you. They are there and never leave. Praise be to God.